Today's podcast is both exciting for us and a little bit intimidating, in part because the topic is one that we know is important, very important, and yet it is also one that we struggle with. And given that this is a podcast we hope our students in our debt classes listen to revealing our lack of knowledge, at least for me, is always a little bit anxiety-inducing. Our guest today is an old friend, Chris Spink, who's been doing wonderful work on the sovereign debt markets for a long, long time. He is one of the few financial reporters I know who has stuck with this topic over the years, although Chris is still very young, but relative to how financial reporters move in and out of topics, Chris has developed a unique expertise, and which is why I think, although maybe he'll correct me, he is able to report on complex topics like the CDS market, and particularly the way in which the CDS market has played out for defaulted Russian bonds. Now, Chris, it is so good to have you on our podcast. We have wanted to have you for a long time, so we're delighted that we were able to grab some time out of your schedule. Personally, I would really like to talk about the fortunes of the English uh, test team and how they have miraculously been able to come back from the dead, so to speak. But Mark has prohibited me from talking about cricket on our podcast. And so welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Mishu. Thank you, Mark. It's a so, pleasure to be here. So, Chris, if I may start with two questions uh, together so that I can preempt Mark a little bit, since I know we're going to be competing for airtime in asking you questions. Just get to the questions already. (laughs) (laughs) See, I told you he would be impatient. I have been puzzled by the fact that Almost no other major financial outlet, and I'm thinking about my friends like the Wall Street Journal uh, and the Financial Times, or maybe even Bloomberg, has been reporting about uh, the Russian CDS auction and what's been happening there without insulting our friends at those portions of the financial press. Can you give us a sense of why you guys are among the only ones who are reporting on this? Is it, is it because it's just too niche or is it because it's so damn complicated that, you know, two or three people have to work on it? But it, in terms of dollar amounts and implications for the future of the sovereign debt market, how these CDS markets play out in a very unusual situation like Russia seems quite important. Yes, I, I think that's right. Uh, me too. Um, uh, to, to answer your your first question, I think it's a a combination of uh, several factors. It, it, as you say, it needs um, 
quite dedicated resource and, and expertise to focus on these more seemingly esoteric parts of the market. But um, it, in a sense, the, the credit default swap, um, as um, happened before 2007, was uh, a way of, uh, of extending uh, finance because um, it enabled um, investors to take out a hedge on their um, uh, positions when they uh, were, were financing uh, various entities. So in theory, if, um, if the hedge uh, is there, which protects you in case something goes wrong, then um, you, you have the uh, comfort and the ability to I- extend um, your financing further and perhaps um, uh, protect yourself if um, an adverse eventuality happens. However, um, there is um, this also involves a lot of leverage in the system. So if the hedges don't work, as happened in um, a lot of the uh, commercial and residential real estate markets in 2007 uh, and eight, then the implications can be uh, pretty dramatic for the financial system because um, uh, people lose confidence that they'll get um, paid out when something goes wrong. So it, it, there are a lot of there's a lot of money behind um, uh, these markets um, because a lot of uh, big players are helping enable investors to um, take positions in more esoteric areas than perhaps they would have done. But just one final point of this is um, the, the the banks, they, they, they don't, um, the, the, I'm talking of the major uh, investment banks, they don't um, necessarily have to uh, report publicly too much uh, quarter by quarter what their positions are. Uh, they can uh, basically say within their fixed income trading units, they have... Um, seen uh, a percentage increase in revenues without going into too much detail about um, uh, which particular products, whether it be credit default swaps or foreign exchange trading is actually um, generating those revenues. And in a way that suits them fine uh, because they don't have to reveal too much. But if you have specialist contacts of people who are actually in, involved in different parts of the bank, then you can get an idea of um, where the revenues are, are flowing. So, Chris, can we can we start um, uh, or continue sort of with the basic questions? I think me too and I at least have. And I'm wondering if you can just introduce us a little bit to the basics of CDS contracts, and in particular two issues I think we're going to want to get into in more detail later. So one is how, what is it that triggers the CDS protection? And and then I'd like to ask a little bit about the process once the protection has been triggered of CDS settlement. And so I'm hoping you can just kind of give us the basics of both of those. Sure, sure. Well, it, there is this um, uh, body uh, which was originally part of the International Securities and Derivatives Association, or ISDA for short, 
called the um, uh, Determination Committee. And actually there are, there are determinations committees because um, uh, when an, an issuer uh, fails to um, uh, stick to a, a payment contract by uh, skipping a coupon or, uh, or entirely missing a, a principal repayment, um, they might um, uh, they might trigger what people would term a, a credit default. So um, questions are posed to these uh, committees for each issuer saying, has, has a credit event happened? And um, there's actually a very public uh, website um, which is, um, lists all the uh, previous um, uh, determination committees uh, outcomes. And um, they're, um, it's at uh, the CDS determinations committees.org. And um, you can see a whole history of uh, the previous um, uh, questions. And um, the, the committees themselves are formed by, it used to be 15 institutions. The majority of them are the large um, broker-dealer uh, banks in the market, you know, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Credit Suisse, uh, Barclays, etc. And then you have major institutional investors uh, such as PIMCO, Citadel, uh, Elliott, and, and others. Uh, so you get a, a representative group, as well as some exchange providers, um, to say whether there has been an event or not. But th this can be uh, quite controversial. And there, certainly in the case of Russia, there were um, a series of meetings and uh, questions posed before uh, one was eventually agreed. And they tend to come to unanimous agreements saying that um, uh, a credit event had indeed happened. So this is, uh, from, from a contract's point of view, I think this is fascinating in that normally we would think that contracts among highly sophisticated parties like the types of institutions you mentioned would be clearly, all contingencies would be clearly specified ahead of time. And then any conflicts would be resolved by a neutral judge. But here in these highly sophisticated contracts, and I'm re-emphasizing that because our theories about how sophisticated commercial parties act uh, are brought into question, here, Exposed after the conflict arises, you have, in, a, in effect, the parties to the contract itself from both sides deciding how ambiguities should be resolved. And it turns out, if one looks at the history of the Determinations Committee, and again, I, I am no expert in this, uh, despite having written about ISDA and CDS contracts, I feel like I just get more and more confused over time. It, it seems like this is an ex post determination about ambiguities, uh, such as in the Russian context. So again, to preempt Mark, I'm, I'm going to ask two questions. One, 
is this sort of bizarre to you as well? The the is the determinations mechanism, which sort of seems uh, extra extra contractual, or it's not extra contractual. It's outside the court system, almost like a arbitration system, which Mark is an expert in. And then, can you give us a sort of a thumbnail sketch of? what the ambiguity was with Russia that caused so much drama? I think you're right, Mitrin, that, um, as you say, it, it is a kind of a market uh, panel, um, uh, rather like uh, the uh, takeovers panel in, uh, in the UK or um, the um, preemption rights panel, which allows... Um, equity issues to be done without by removing the preemption rights which are in the UK um, uh, company law contracts but um, without going to a to a um, judicial authority um, or, or, or indeed as you were saying uh, like an international arbitration but um, I mean it, it is strange but it, I think it kind of goes back to that why it was a problem in 2000 and seven and eight when AIG, the major issuer or, or, or the major writer of, of, of CDS um, was uh, in danger because um, people sometimes say it's, it's like an insurance contract in theory. You know, um, I, my, my bicycle is stolen. Therefore, I go to my contents insurer and say, um, please, could you replace it uh, with the value? of the bicycle and then uh that is a rather simple thing and 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 it happens um but here um it, this isn't kind of the um uh the, the 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 bond investor taking out a a credit default swap it, it can be anybody in the whole um uh market to to take out protection so you know, you don't have to have the um, underlying uh, security in order to take out the insurance. So it can be, um, we're talking about quite um, uh, qu quite potentially large situations where you have far more CDS out there than there is um, covering the actual um, physical um, security. So I think when it, when it, I'm almost forgetting, having gone on that ramble, what your first, um, your second question was beyond the uh, the nature of the panels. But, That's okay because um, it gives it gives me an opportunity. I th I think I'm going to restate Me Too's question. Um, in fact, I know that I am, and Me Too, of course, will sit silently while I do that. Um, ah! <laughs> I think so the this is a good point to lead a little bit into some of the the specifics of the Russian case. So Mitu was asking about a a particular ambiguity uh, in the Russian bonds. but um, and I to be more precise, I think there was a, a decision by the determinations committee, I think back in March, uh, excluding, I think, from CDS auctions and from coverage, the uh, bonds that have a clause that we have been really interested in, which is this alternative payment currency clause. So basically taking this subset of sort of nominally 
foreign debt uh, denominated Russian bonds and excluding them because there are some circumstances where they could be paid in rubles. And and I think so the question was what how is it that that the determinations committee gets to weigh in on questions like that and then I'm interested in 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 the consequences of that decision. What does it mean for for the market? As far as I understand it it is ultimately a, a committee which is trying to represent the uh, major participants in the market and um, uh, that they can I don't think there's any authority over them or, or an appeals um, process as such although presumably um, if there was a, a unhappiness or disagreement then um, Presumably, a, a, an action could be taken if a decision was disputed. But, but God... what is the decision in in particular? So the the decision, I think, excluded the APC bonds that allow for payment in rubles from CDS auctions and said they weren't in effect covered securities. Do I do I do I at least have that part of it right? Yeah, yeah. I I think that's uh, right. That there were kind of. Um questions which were re- rejected as uh, potential credit events earlier on in the uh, soon after uh, the, the the invasion of Ukraine and, and the difficulties of um, getting payments through I I had a feeling um, I, I can't um, say this definitively but what I, I can't remember whether those were excluded the, the the alternative payment mechanism bonds entirely or, or whether uh whether the the meeting said uh or the minutes of the meeting said um is this because payments have been attempted to be made maybe not along the terms of the um of what you were necessarily expecting to get um um non-ruble original the, the original currency um of the bond paid to you but an attempt was made it wasn't a default as as such there was a um a a confusion over that and because maybe i'm i might be jumping the gun here but it was quite strange that um it was a much simpler question which the committee decided on later on which actually has uh triggered the uh eventual CDS auction settlement of the um, of the Russia CDS because there were, in, in this whole kind of uh, confusion, one of the uh, questions asked was that um, uh, thirty days of um, uh, of kind of penalty uh, interest, uh, which was only a very small amount on on, on the a coupon which was due to two million dollars. Uh, had been forgotten to be paid, and that that was what um, actually uh, got got the panel to yes. So it's kind of like uh, you can ask all these different questions, uh, but as long as you get one, then then the default happens, and then you go ahead with the auction. Uh, but yeah, how the auction is actually carried out is another uh, rather complex as- aspect of all this um, uh, chicanery. 
So the, there was an earlier decision that, I, and I, we don't have to, to talk about this to the extent you think other things are more important. I just, uh, there was an earlier decision on March 11th where, so I think the many of the CDS contracts, maybe all of them cover bonds that are not domestic currency bonds. And so then what the determinations committee decided is that these bonds that are uh, at least in principle, payable in rubles were not bonds that satisfied that requirement of being not domestic currency bonds. So I hope I'm being clear about that. I, one one implication of that decision potentially might be that it would not be a default for Russia to pay these APC bonds in rubles. And if that's an implication, it would have major consequences for um, uh, uh, for future litigation involving uh, a Russian potential default on those bonds. And it would have those implications, I think, only if a court sort of gave a damn about what the determinations committee thinks. So I guess that's a different way to get at the question is like, do you think courts give a damn about what the determinations committee decides? So, you know, in a bondholders lawsuit against Russia, if Russia says, oh, no, I paid you in rubles and, you know, I'm allowed to do that. Can it point to this March 11th decision and say, "I this supports my my argument? Yeah, um, well, I mean, I, I I can't obviously speak uh, as a as to what a um, a court or a judge would would make of it, but um, I have always uh, presumed that um, people understand this is a kind of a, a market practice um, decision rather than a. Um, I mean, but I mean, it, 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 uh, who knows whether it, it, it might be. Brought up as uh, evidence uh, and then to be uh, um, used in a in a court at a later stage. I, I just kind of think that if you if you look at all the on, on the uh, CDS determination committee's website, there have, there have been five hundred thirty nine questions asked, and, and and lots of them are kind of um, quite simple things where uh, a company's been taken over. And they say, uh, well, what's the reference? Uh, we're, we're kind of all the CDS is outstanding against. So you have to know who, you know, if if, if the successor entity defaults, then that's the question. But I mean, I, this, as you say, perhaps goes into uh, new new uh, realms when um, you know a, a committee of market practitioners are, are just saying, is this a accredited event or is this this not um i i i don't certainly there has been a reluctance uh over the years as the market has developed for um first is is very clear in saying that and it has indeed uh, initially had a ring fence around the determinations committees and put them to um one side of its business and then actually uh, sold it off and then so although they uh, developed a lot of the market, they, they are no longer part of the, the arbiter, they say. And then I think they always make very clear that um, this is just a, um, 
a market panel where um, they are, are, are reaching a, a market agreement rather than um, trying to set a uh, particular precedent. So I don't know. I'm, I'm being rather diplomatic, but I, I think in a, in a sense the, um, uh, the the practitioners would would hate to think of it as a precedent setting uh, thing they're doing. This this is uh, fascinating. We should we should go to break, but I'm I'm gonna give my two cents on why I think this is so interesting, and then not allow either one of you to respond as we go <laughs> to break. But the question of the implications of the determinations committee for any future challenge strike me as incredibly important because the determinations committee is set up as a panel of market experts. And so if there is ambiguity or vagueness in terms of what is to happen in, for example, with with whether there is a default and if there is a default, which bonds count as foreign currency bonds? I mean, those seem like two big questions, particularly the second question as to which bonds count. And a panel of market experts say, this is what we think as market experts. It strikes me as hard for any future court to, to ignore that because the court in a setting where there is a lack of clarity is going to be choosing between its inexpert choice and the expert choice of those in the market. So uh, uh, from, a, from a legal point of view, th- this is a, a hard question that we'll probably uh, puzzle over for a long time but I, I want to set the stage for our second half in terms of flagging at least why I think the determination, Determinations Committee's decision to exclude the bonds that have this unique clause. So the unique clause, just to remind everyone, is that in bonds that were issued by Russia, and some of the Russian entities such as Gazprom after the Crimean invasion in 2014, these bonds, perhaps anticipating that our dear friend, Uncle Vlad, uh, would want to invade and take more of Ukraine, and anticipating that there would be sanctions, allowed in certain circumstances for Russia to make payments in rubles. Now, initially, the market seemed to think that these were crap bonds. Uh, After all, a bond that allows Russia to make payment in rubles seems like a terrible thing, because who would want rubles? And so I think, and I am just guessing, I think that the Determinations Committee decided, oh, nobody's going to want those crap bonds, so we're going to exclude them from the auction because the price of those crap bonds is going to be dramatically lower than the good bonds that require payment in some kind of foreign currency. And that that, that was the early decision. But as time has moved on, we have realized that the market actually is quite grateful 
for payments in rubles for partly for the reason that Russia, through its other activities in mandating that foreign purchasers of gas have to pay in rubles, has kept the value of the ruble quite high. So, I mean, all of this is a morass and a mess, but it 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 does set things up nicely in terms of at least showing how complicated these decisions can be. And now with that, since I probably have managed to confuse everything, we're going to go to break. And then at the beginning of our next uh, segment, Mark will clarify all of these matters, and then we'll be able to proceed with coherent questions. So off to break now. So, Chris, what I what I think the gist of Mitu's question, uh, which I should make him state, but I'm going to state it again, is it back in in March, everybody thought the bonds that allowed for payment in rubles were going to be worthless, and so this the determinations committee's decision was that you can't deliver those bonds into a credit derivative transaction. Basically, nobody wants them. I assume. The protection sellers wouldn't want them, but maybe I have that backwards. Anyway, that assumption about pricing has maybe turned out not to be so correct. And so I'm I'm wondering if you can just sort of tell us more about what you've observed in looking at the prices in uh, of late, and of course the prices of the non-ruble bonds in the recent auction. And then I have a, a follow-up question, if Mitu will let me ask it, about um, this recent Treasury decision letting this trading happen in the first place. But, but can you just sort of tell us what you see pricing-wise? Yes, um, sure, Mark. Um, I think that uh, may, may have been uh, broadly co- correct back in March that um, even, even after the uh, decision on, on whether an event had happened, um, what you would then, in the event that a credit event was adjudged to have happened, what would you, um, how would you get the price uh, set which the CDS is paid out? And maybe we should take a, a step back and saying uh, that this is uh, determined generally by an auction between the broker dealers um, to uh, uh, buy or sell um, the, the 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 physical bonds they have to set a um, a price because and, and this is quite important because beyond that the price um uh then determines the simple uh cash payouts as as well because as i said earlier there can be situations and it frequently are where there's far more cds outstanding than there are kind of uh, underlying um securities so yeah pa- perhaps um the price Early on in March, April, when the the ruble had um, had uh, plunged quite significantly against the dollar, if suddenly you those bonds were being paid in in rubles rather than um, uh, dollars or euros, then um, uh, they would not have been as attractive. So the if if you have a variety of different instruments with different characteristics uh, and different currencies, then you'll have a a, a range of um, of uh, securities at different prices being uh, tendered, and um, 
uh, bid for in the auction from say kind of 10 cents in the in the dollar or through to 90 cents in the dollar so you, you get kind of a uh big discrepancies and uh it, it can um you know not not ruin but kind of um make it a less useful uh process and i guess uh so as i understand it a lot of parties because of the sanctions were either forbidden from participating in the auction or worried they might violate the sanctions if they did participate and so treasury gave this window in which trades could happen and I had assumed the purpose of that window was really just to let the CDS auction go forward. And of course, the CDS auction, as I as I understand it, just includes the non-APC bonds. Do you know whether people took advantage of the window also to trade in the, the bonds that allow for payment in rubles? And, and if so, who? Who's doing that? Well, um, Yes, you're right. So, um, moving on from that um, that March meeting we talked about, and then I mentioned in May the actual uh, default on a on a very simple missing of a um, um, overdue penalty uh, uh, interest payment. Um, that happened in May, but as you say, the banks were very worried about how to run this auction because by then um, there were um, uh, the, the, there was sanctions against uh, buying. Uh, secondary uh, market um, debt, not not just uh, primary market uh, Russian debt. Uh, so um, how how would this actually happen? And I I think you're right that um, uh, that this uh, license which the Treasury gave to allow uh, the, the 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 sanctions to be suspended just for this ten day period uh, was in effect a way of getting that um, auction to happen. And yeah, we, it's interesting because it, it is publicly available, uh, the outcome of the auction and, and what happened. And um, there, there were some very big orders placed for the uh, physical bonds, not just a, a, a cash payout. And um, this was the first opportunity for people to, to investors to actually uh, instruct um, uh brokers um, who are participating in this auction to actually increase their exposure uh, legally to um, Russia. And um, uh, one of my um, colleagues, um, understood stands from uh, his uh, reporting in the market that um, a, a big institution, um, which we, we understand is PIMCO, um, who, who were a big, a big writer of uh, uh, CDS, protection and therefore had to pay out a lot uh, were also a big buyer of the um, securities because um, I, I think people are taking a view that over the long run even though they may not be able to trade although they can still potentially sell the securities uh, if, if they can find a buyer um, that in the long run once a, a, a settlement of the uh, conflict is reached and sanctions are removed in the long run then uh, a um, Russia before um, February the 24th was current on its on its bonds and the CDS protection was was the cost of, of buying this insurance product was so low um, that um, everybody was confident that they would keep um, paying and uh, they didn't have much debt and they were a large um, uh, 
hydrocarbon uh, exporter. And, um, uh, you know, maybe those times eventually might return. So that's the view some people in the market are taking. So Chris, I, I just want to build on this and we've used up too much of your time and uh, Liana, our fantastic producer, will be very irate of us at us if we make the podcast go too long. She, she always says, you know, just wait for the second time that you have this particular guest on if you want to ask them so many questions. So I am going to try to be disciplined and ask you one last question. And hopefully I'm able to articulate what I think is one of the big picture implications here. So here's how I see it. The US Treasury at some point decided that they needed to push Russia into default because pushing Russia into default would impose long-term harm on Russia and would be one of the wide array of penalties that is imposed on Russia for just generally misbehaving in the Ukraine context. And so, yes, they were going to screw over uh, bondholders who had purchased Russian bonds, uh, but that's just the price of, you know, having invested in Mr. Putin. You're a bondholder, you invested in Mr. Putin, you know, stuff's going to go bad uh, if Putin does bad stuff. My perception of what you're telling us is that this treasury strategy actually has backfired. So the treasury has the strategy of pushing Russia into default and Russia has reacted by doing everything possible to pay the bondholders despite all of the uh, barriers that have been put in place by the US and the European, Western European governments to make it hard to pay. And while we initially thought, oh, you know, with a tanking ruble and Russia having control over its own currency and the value of the currency, getting paid in rubles is going to be shit. Uh, instead, what we've seen is that they have artificially forced the price of the ruble high and they're willing to do everything possible to pay in rubles. And now institutions like PIMCO, if PIMCO is indeed that institution that might have been originally embarrassed about buying Russian bonds, I thought, I think maybe I remember an article in the FT saying, oh my God, they look at all the exposure that BlackRock and PIMCO have to Russia. They bought all these Putin bonds. And, you know, isn't that it's a little bit inconsistent with all of the stuff that they say about, you know, ESG and how they're good global citizens. I think what you're telling us is that financial interests have uh, trumped and these big institutions are now rushing towards buying more Russian bonds because they think, yeah, maybe they invaded Ukraine and that's not so good for the globe, but we really like the returns we're going to get on these bonds if they're trading at 10 cents on the dollar or now, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. If Russia's going to pay us in full in rubles and we can convert the rubles, 
Uh, that's a big party. All right. I went on for too long. I was supposed to be short, but you get the last word and you have to come back because we have so much more to talk to you about this. Well, that would be that would be a pleasure, me too. But um, I, I hope it's helpful. But it, I mean, as you say, it's um, I, I think the, the lesson is it, it's if you've got ultimately a, a, a hard currency, as in it's oil and gas Fact, then that's that's quite powerful because people will will uh, want that and um, the, the the I think the, the gap in sanctions has always been around um, the energy policy but so that's why the the ruble hasn't behaved as it's as it perhaps people thought initially but uh, on, on the, the the wider Point. I think um, Russia as well had this history of uh, of of not making uh, financial payments in the late '90s, and one understands that the um, the, the the central bank and the um, authorities there were were very keen to keep keep paying. As indeed, I think U- Ukraine has until recently been keen to keep paying because they did not want to be out of the market when they desperately. Would want to be in the market um, to uh, fund uh, a reconstruction after after the conflict, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I you speak to some people in the market and they they will always say, well, um, this is that's that geopolitical stuff is above my um, <laughs> my pay grade. That's not um, what I'm doing. I'm I'm also trying to uh, uh, make. A, a return under my fiduciary interest to my um, end investors. So, uh, but in the emerging markets, and particularly when there's uh, a conflict on this, uh, yeah, becomes a, a very um, uh, tricky thing to uh, manage both those um, uh, positions at the same time. But um, I think I'm I'm probably being too diplomatic for you. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, this is. Uh, one to look at in the future and maybe um maybe we should all focus on the next uh, month or two on 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 the sports field and uh, seeing uh ben stokes lift the t20 cup in australia <laughs> i was i was with you until you started talking about cricket and then it was like you switched into a language i just don't understand i i would love to enjoy cricket but I need somebody to really slowly walk me through uh, what exactly is going on. But maybe we can have another episode where we talk more about cricket. Um, for now, Chris, thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming, and uh, I will look forward to talking with you again. Mm-hmm.